0: Hey, I'm sex, love, and relationship therapist, Dr. Laura Berman. And for the past 30 years, I've been helping people just like you learn to love and be loved better. Here on the Language of Love Conversations, I'm talking to some of the world's most influential and revolutionary experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, and celebrities about love, sex, and relationships from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. And that way, my goal is to awaken your mind, body, and soul. It's time to become fluent in the language of love. Kayla Osterhoff is a neuropsychophysiologist and a women's health expert whose research is really revolutionizing the field of women's health. Her discoveries about women's biology are the basis of what she calls her biorhythm program. And understanding your biorhythm as a woman will in many ways shock you, but also make complete sense. And we are women with women's biorhythms and women's biology trying to operate in really what is a world set up for men. So how does a woman really listen to and honor and understand her biorhythm and move in the world according to it. And how, when she does that, her productivity, her satisfaction, and her health dramatically increase. That's what we're getting into this episode of The Language of Love. All right, Kayla, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to talk to you and pick your beautiful female brain.
1: (laughs) I'm so excited for this conversation. I've really been looking forward to it. So thank you for having me on. Of course. So
0: I know that you post a lot online and you do a lot of courses really kind of highlighting that in many ways, when it comes to understanding the physiology and the neurophysiology in particular of women, we're really behind the times. And I found this, listen, I have been doing this for 30 years, right? So I doing mental health therapies, I have a subspecialty in women's health And when I started my career, like hardcore into women's health and women's sexual health, it was probably the late 90s. And I remember being flabbergasted. When Viagra came out for men and all these women came banging on my door and saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, the man that I've been married to for 30 years hasn't wanted to have sex with me for 10 years, which is fine because I haven't wanted to either because we're both in our 60s. But now all of a sudden he wants to like, give me some of that Viagra. And I was like, "Okay, let me see what research." What do we understand about the anatomy and physiology of women's, even just, and I know you go much broader than this, but me and my, back in my day, it was around sexual health, the medical aspects of sexual health, the physiologic aspects of sexual health. And my mind was blown that they hadn't even, and I don't know that they still haven't. I'm not sure they have yet. To my knowledge, they've done a little bit, but they hadn't even mapped the nerves and blood vessels that were central to sexual function in women, when in men, they could do robotic surgeries. They could be that specific because they'd mapped yeah. it so specifically. But when they go in and do a hysterectomy, for instance, they just cut it out. Like they're not thinking yeah. about the nerves and blood vessels. that was, They didn't even map them. And then when yeah. I looked at like the clinical trials, they had just started like a few years prior, just started to include yeah. women. In clinical trials, period, not just sexual health trials, right. clinical trials. So that's where I want to start, because I know you're passionate yeah. about this piece of things, too.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sad to report that little to no progress has been made. So there's a couple of good reasons why women have been left out of the clinical research. However, it doesn't make it OK. And it doesn't mean that we, it's OK for us to move forward as a society ignoring women from a scientific standpoint. So the first reason is an ethical reason. And it's that women make risky research subjects, right? And so that's because of our childbearing potential. So any woman that has the potential of getting pregnant, which means any actively cycling woman, is already flagged to be high risk for any study because of the potential of getting pregnant.
0: Right. So if she's taking an experimental drug or treatment and she happens to be pregnant, it could affect the baby. So that's. Yeah.
1: Right. But it goes beyond that because that makes sense. Right. We don't want women who are pregnant taking experimental drugs because then it risks not only her life, but the child's life as well. Right. Right. That makes total sense. However, Because it's more of a political movement than an ethical thing to begin with, the reason why women are actually left out for this ethical reason is because nobody wants to get sued. And so what happens is we just take women out if they're in this childbearing range, even when there is no risk if they get pregnant. So it could be even an observational study, for instance, and women still will not be included just for the potential risk of being sued. Mm. So that's reason number one, which is super frustrating all on its own. But reason number two is going to enrage you even more. And it is the most frustrating part of my work and the field of science. And that is that women are really left out of the research because of our biological complexity. So what I mean by that is women are biologically changing little by little every day. And in comparison to our male counterparts, there's way more moving parts because of them. Right. We're more
0: complicated
1: in a good way. Yes. Yes. We're more complicated because we have a very different biological rhythm than our male counterparts. And so what that means is because there's so much to consider, you have to collect exponentially more data for women over every day, over several cycles in order to get results that are applicable. And it's very much more expensive to study women because you have to control for all of those moving parts and it's very difficult. So instead of putting more money into it and more time into it and getting the right expertise on the study, which is all really, really expensive, right? Yes. We just say, well, We want fast, cheap data. So we're going to leave women out. And then the default is, well, it's ethical risk, right?
0: That's what they use as an excuse not to spend the money that it would take to accommodate all of the nuances of our physiology and account for those and control for those. Yes,
1: exactly. Disgusting.
0: But I totally get it because that is what they're doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so in 1977, the FDA formally banned all women of childbearing potential from all clinical trials, no matter what. That ban actually remained in effect, a legal ban. It remained in effect until 1993. So prior to that, women were already not being studied because of the two reasons I mentioned. Then when the FDA put a law in place that banned women from research, then of course, that was perpetuated. So we have that whole chunk of time where we have a gap in the understanding of women. We don't have the data. We have very male centric data that we're working with. And then in 1993, when the Office of Women's Health overturned that, they suggested that it would be a good idea that we start studying women. So every five years since 1993, the Office of Women's Health through the NIH puts out a report and they say, this is the progress that we have made with women and research and women's health and women's disparities and yada, yada. Right. And what they report every five years is little to no progress has been made and we uh, should do better. And here are our recommendations. Since 93, right. Since 93. And the only area of progress that we have made is what's called bikini medicine. And so bikini medicine is just the parts that are covered by a bikini. So like breast and ovarian cancer, menstrual cycles and reproductive health. But beyond that, which is every other aspect of health, we have zero understanding of what that means for women and how that looks in their bodies because we don't study them.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so important because... What we don't realize as women is that the recommendations even our gynecologists are making to us, that our doctors, our general practitioners are making us, are not informed by female-centric science, right? And we think it's all being informed by science. And then when those interventions don't work or they fall flat... Then we think we're some anomaly or that things are hopeless or and there's so many issues that happen at every stage of a a woman's life. So many health issues, so many reproductive issues, so many hormonal issues. So one of the things that I was hoping that we could get into during this conversation, and I know you teach a lot about this, is the unique kind of biorhythm and I know it's different right like for a woman in her 20s it's going to be different than a woman in her 40s and versus a woman in her 60s and we have menopause and perimenopause to get into (laughs) yeah in general what is a woman's biorhythm and how does it apply to her daily life and her health
1: yeah so just backing up from that just for a moment Uh how do you feel great on vacation like really good easy you go to Aruba You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. The greatest misconception and the greatest disempowerment to women that came from this research gap, from the gap in data, from the gap in education, is the assumption that the biological parts that men and women share, so I'm talking about the cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, sexual health, I'm talking about the metabolism, the brain, the nervous system, all of these parts, right, that all humans have that we share. The assumption that has to be made, because we don't have the data to know anything different, is that those parts operate the same way in men and women.
0: Yeah. What we
1: now know, and with the understanding of the female biological rhythm or the female biorhythm, is that that couldn't be further from the truth. And that is where we have got it wrong in society. That is where we have got it wrong in medicine. That is where we have got it wrong in education. We have made a false assumption that we are all still operating under. So the truth is those biological parts that we both share work completely differently in the male and the female body. And the reason why is because timing things, the timing of how these things operate is what the key difference is. So the male biological rhythm is set to the pace of the adrenal hormones or the sleep wake cycle, the circadian cycle in humans. And so what that is, is it's a 24 hour repeating system of cortisol, your waking hormone and melatonin, your sleep hormone. And that is the hormonal heartbeat of the global male physiology. So all those things that I was talking about, cardiovascular system, respiratory system, nervous system, and so on. Right. So when you look at the male model, and when you look at our biological textbooks, which are relegated to the male model, because that is the data that we have, you see that everything is, is shown and is set up on a repeating 24-hour system. And this goes back to our science problem. This is right. what makes men such wonderful research subjects. I would love to study men because it's easy. <laughs> it's yeah, easy. And they're it's constant. They don't change, right? Yes, so they are consistent. They are repetitive. Their biology and their physiology operates the same way every single day. So from day to day, they are the same consistent, right? Of course, there are small, slow changes over long periods of time, just like for men and women. For all humans, that's the case. But if you compare today to tomorrow to the next day, it's the same in the male model. In the female model, it's a whole different ball game. And things are a lot more complex because our biological rhythm is not set to the pace of the circadian rhythm. We have that, of course, we have a sleep-wake cycle, but that is not what drives and modulates our global physiology. That is not the key clock in our body. The key clock and pacemaker for us is the ovarian hormone cycle, which is the ebb and flow of estrogen and progesterone, which drive and modulate every single aspect of our female physiology. So again, this is why we're terrible research subjects, because as estrogen ebbs and flows over the course of a month long biorhythm, we are physiologically shifting and we are significantly shifting through four very different hormonal phases that occur over the month. And so this is why I say that women are actually four different women, physiologically speaking, over the course of a month. And sometimes and think, emotionally speaking. Yes. Oh, well, absolutely emotionally. I'm talking yeah. cognitively, emotionally, yes. behaviorally, physiologically. We are four different humans over the course of a month because that's how significant the modulation driven by our hormones, our female hormones is. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you in just a
0: minute about what happens when hormones become depleted, either yes. surgically or menopausally. But let's just talk yes. about your average premenopausal, healthy woman, I think this is so important, you guys, to listen to because we have built in this expectation in terms of behavior, productivity, weight, health, energy, all these kind of signals of health that we've learned to tune into and to tap into. We are working on the assumption that that is supposed to remain constant. Throughout the month, throughout the year, you know, because that's what medical male based medical science is kind of teaching us. Right. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons that I think what you're talking about is so important for people to understand, because I'm assuming that once you understand your biorhythm, Kayla, that then you work with it. Right. You have expectations built upon it. You know, the areas of the month where you're going to be the most active or the most cognitively prolific or whatever yes. <laughs> it means. So can you spell out the kind of average healthy premenopausal woman's biorhythm for us?
1: Yeah. So I'll just quickly kind of give some highlights of the four phases and some yeah. examples of these physiological shifts that have major implications for our lives, for our health, for our productivity, for our leadership, for everything about our lives. And something that you hit on that's really, really important to highlight is that Our society has been built upon the male model. So it goes beyond even medicine. Yes, of course, there's huge implications for medicine as dosages and treatments and protocols are derived based on male-centric data that doesn't apply appropriately to women. But also our societal constructs, our infrastructures, our systems, our schedules, our support systems, all of this stuff is also built on the data that we have, which is very, very male centric. So that's why our world operates on a 24 hour repeating system, right? Because that's what we understand about human biology and human health and behavior. And so that's how we've set it up. But we've really missed the mark for women. We've really missed the mark. And women are really disempowered because they don't know about the truth of their biology.
0: They're trying to fit themselves into a model that doesn't fit their bodies.
1: Exactly. They're trying to fit the circle peg in a square hole or however you say that. And really what we need is four different shaped holes because our we have four different pegs, right? So we shouldn't be expected to be consistent when that is not how we are designed.
0: Listen, regardless of your sexual orientation or your gender or your relationship status, every single one of us has struggled at one point or another with a lackluster or disconnected sex life or difficulty finding the partner that we most desire. So I have designed an amazing program for you, Seven Days to Better Sex. Each day, you're going to get a video and an information packet all designed to help you jumpstart your love life. Just go to www.drloraberman.com. And one of the things that I want to really highlight in this episode, and we're going to get into this in just a second, the four different pegs, (laughs) (laughs) is that one of the cool things I think and one of the things that I'm optimistic about is because the world has become so potentially virtual and because so many people are sort of working from home or remote working or entrepreneur-oriented work that there are ways that women where we have an opportunity like never before to design our lives around yeah. our biorhythm. where by the end, it may, your month may mm-hmm. look very different productivity mm-hmm. wise in the way that productivity happens than a guy's month may work. But at the end of the month, you have done better or the same as the guy. It just looks different. And also you're a lot more productive, healthier, happier, and attuned to yourself when you do that. So
1: spell that out. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and post COVID, what we saw is the female talent has left the workforce, right? The reason why is because women got a taste of the flexibility to design their lifestyle in relation to how their body feels and functions. That's so and true. when they got a taste of that, they were like, I'm not going. Hell back no! To like, I didn't rigid- know this was possible. I no. wait a second. Wait a second.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. wait a second. You mean yeah. I can design my days and be and create the Feel same better. productivity on my own time
1: and in my own way. And according to my own rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So I'm going to give the master keys to all the women out there who may or may not already be designing their lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. whether you are in a corporate kind of rigid structure and you have to follow their systems or whether you are an entrepreneur and work for yourself and and design your schedule however you want, this is kind of the basic information that we should have all been provided as young girls. It's the master operating system that we all need to be understanding how to operate with. And again, no matter where we are on the spectrum of our situation, there are absolutely things within our control that we can adjust and align with our biorhythm. And trust me, even if you make these small, small changes, they will pay out to you exponentially. All right. So, yeah. (laughs) So, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) So, phase one. And I'm going to talk about the hormonal phases first, and then I'll talk about the physiological phases, which is the more important part. But I want to talk about the hormonal drivers that cause these physiological shifts. And then we'll talk about the implications of, okay, the, so what, what do we do with this? How do we operate like this? So Phase one is the menstrual phase. This is when women typically have a period, but for many reasons, a lot of women don't have an active period, which is the shedding of the uterine lining, but all women have phase one regardless. So phase one is hormonally marked by the lowest point of estrogen and progesterone. These are the two key hormones that drive the female biological rhythm. So, at this phase, those hormones are at their lowest level. And societally, you hear all these memes and different ideas about women are most like men during their period when hormones are low. Well, that's not true at all. But there is a significant signature of this phase that is important to understand so that we can operate in harmony with our bodies in this phase and every other one. So, when those hormones are at their lowest level, There's also a kind of global downshift of the female physiology. And what I mean by that is that our metabolism or conversions of food into fuel. So macros, right? We have fats, carbs, and proteins. They get digested and they get converted through the citric acid cycle to create ATP, which is fuel for the cells, right? Mm -hmm. Very basic overview. So that whole process slows down. And so women are getting less fuel for the cells during this phase and that's why we often in phase 1 feel like we have less energy because we literally do. <laughs> yeah. So we have a little less energy in this phase and I like to talk about energy and neurochemistry and all these different things we're going to talk about as resources. Mm-hmm. So in this phase we're working with a little bit less of particular resources. So it's all about learning how to allocate those resources in a smart way so that we don't ever have to hit a slump or not have enough energy or feel brain fog or any of these other symptoms. So those symptoms are really just a result of not understanding where our resources are and how to apply them in a smart way. So metabolically speaking, we have less fuel for okay. the cells, for, fuel for the body in this phase. Also, when we shift over and we look at what's going on neurologically, there's also a downshift neurologically as well. And with this, we see that there is less activity or a slowing of the activity of our excitatory and mood boosting neurotransmitters. So we're talking about glutamate, epinephrine, norepinephrine, serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, These kinds of neurotransmitters that modulate our mood and also give us mental energy, right? So there's a slowing of those as well. Everything slows down when you, in that
0: first phase, which is typically Mm -hmm. during the, if you're menstruating during the active period.
1: Okay. Right. Yes. So that might kind of sound like a bummer. And women are like, what the heck? Why do we have to have this slow phase? I don't want to be slow. I don't want to slow down. But the female biology is so brilliantly designed. There are benefits of every phase. And the physiological shifts are, the purpose is to point us in the direction of those so that we can leverage those things. So in phase one, an example of that is that our body is slowing us down. It's taking this mental outward focus and it's shifting it inward by default. We have to, we have to slow down. We have to take the external focus and go inward. And the reason why is because during this phase, what we know through brain imaging studies and cognitive skills testing is that women have, heightened what the scientific community calls cognitive empathy, but in reality is intuition. So a woman's ability to discern, to know things, to do analysis, to make decisions is heightened in phase one. So we're slowing down it's sort of our system's own COVID. We have yeah. to kind of go <laughs> yeah.
0: inward yeah. and reassess and, yeah. and attune for the month, right? Or what exactly. A, like we're getting ourselves geared up, getting ready to gear up.
1: Yeah. So, again, talking about resources outside of the body, when you're looking at the resources of your life, you want to allocate them smartly, right? Well, in phase one, this is the time to do that. This is when you want to assess everything you're doing. This is when you want to assess your schedule, do your planning, allocate your resources. If you have any big decisions to make, this is the time to do it so unfortunately women are bypassing this what I call superpower which we have different ones in every phase but women are bypassing the superpowers of phase one because they are fighting against the grain of their biology instead of slowing down they're drinking extra cups of coffee and instead of allowing the focus to go from outward to inward, they're saying, no, 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 I'm going to take nootropics and I'm going to work out really hard and I'm just going to push through. Like how many women have you heard say that? Yeah.
0: Wait, now how long does each phase, like how long does this last? So we're
1: putting it in a context. A week? So phase one is about a week, five to seven days. It's different for different women. However, the really slow part of phase one is really the only the first couple few days. So, you know, two, three days, but also that's the most juicy time for this heightened intuitive insight. So if we're really smart about it, what we would do is maybe have a couple less meetings, maybe have a little less social interaction, have a little more alone time. Maybe we shorten our schedule by a couple of hours so that we can have a little more time to sit with ourselves do our assessment, self-reflect, reflect reflect on our lives, reflect on how we're allocating our resources. And I promise you, if you can do this for yourself, you will see huge, huge payouts from it.
0: Okay. And so what is this phase called biologically? I know you call it phase one, but in the menstrual
1: cycle, what is it Mm -hmm. called? In the menstrual cycle, this is called the menstrual phase. Okay. And yeah, (laughs) very unique. Yes, And in the physiological cycle and the female biorhythm, I call this phase the shed phase Mm -hmm. because this is when, yes, many women are shedding their uterine lining, but maybe they're also shedding what doesn't serve them. Maybe they're shedding the excess fat they are able to really discern at a higher level and make better decisions for themselves. So that's what phase one is is all about.
0: Yeah, all right. So Matt, your intuition is maximum at this phase. Okay, what's the next phase we hit?
1: So the next phase in the menstrual cycle is called the follicular phase. And this is marked by a steady rise to a peak in estrogen. So basically starting from day one or day zero, however you wanna say right? You have about five to seven days of phase one menstrual phase. And even starting from day zero, your estrogen is just steadily starting to rise, but you don't see the physiological impact of that rise of estrogen until you get into phase two, the follicular phase. And this is when women start to feel pretty good. This is when estrogen is on the rise, right? It's rising to a peak all through this phase. And again, it's about a week long. So you have week one, week two, right? This is just about week two. And so estrogen is the star of the show during this phase. As estrogen rising, we get this upshift of the female physiology in terms of our metabolism picks up. We start to get more fuel for the cells. We start to be able to convert our macros at a different level. And so that's another conversation for another day about, you know, which macros are metabolized better in each phase. That's how kind of like deep this all goes. But, In general, we are having more fuel for our body. So energy levels are rising. We're starting to feel really good. And our excitatory and mood-boosting neurochemicals are also increasing in their activity. So we have more focus. We have more mental energy. We have a better mood. We're being more social. Interestingly, when we look at kind of these cognitive skills that shift in this phase, there is heightened navigational ability. In women during this phase Mm. in particular. And what's really interesting is as estrogen rises, so does a woman's emotional intelligence, Mm. which is really cool. So level of compassion, of understanding, of connection with other people. So this has great implications for how women operate, especially in their career, but also in their home and their relationships and their community, right? Because we are going to be able to connect with other people more profoundly. We are going to be able to understand them and we have a greater ability to kind of guide and lead people and interact with our teams, with our community members, whatever it may be.
0: So this is when we should schedule any negotiations or strategies or HR meetings or anything like
1: that. Yeah. So I would actually save negotiations for the next one. And I'll explain why. What are we doing? This is when definitely HR issues, any kind of team things where you need to really see and hear other people. This is when you want to do it because you're going to get it. You're going to connect with them. You're going to understand their circumstances. You can walk a mile in their shoes during this phase and you're just going to be a better leader. So if you have work with your teams, let's do it in this phase, you know, pack it all into the schedule, have more meetings, have more social interactions. This is the time to really ramp that stuff up. Also, women can work longer and longer hours because they have more energy, more mental focus, more stamina. Women's power, strength, and endurance physically also rises as estrogen rises. Mm -hmm. So again, these are just examples and there's a lot more to it, but I think you can start to see how this puzzle piece fits together. Yeah. And how awesome it really is. It's like women have this secret hack. For life that the other half of the population doesn't have access to. The problem is we're just not necessarily
0: all month long, but when you hit it right at the right time, I'm going to ask you soon about what to do when you are really, when your cycles are irregular as we're moving into perimenopause, Mm -hmm. menopause, but let's keep moving through the stages.
1: Perfect. So phase three, as I alluded to before, is really going to be our best phase to pitch and do contract negotiations and things like that. And the reason being is phase three is the ovulatory phase. It's actually more of a phase shift than a full-on phase because it's pretty short. It's like one to three days. Every woman's a little bit different. You know, there's four or five days around it where you get the same kind of benefits, but it's a pretty short phase. And it's marked by the peak in estrogen. But also, women at the same time get this nice peak in a few other hormones, luteinizing hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, and testosterone around the same time. So this is when women are feeling their best. And this is when they have the energy to do it all. They're the Energizer Bunny. They can go, go, go. They have the heightened power, strength, and endurance. They have heightened emotional intelligence. They have heightened activity of those neurochemicals that we love. So their mood is high, their mental stamina is high and they have more energy for their bodies. So this is when we are feeling our best with all these amazing hormones that are active. The problem with this (laughs) is that most women set this as the benchmark for their life Mm -hmm. and they have designed their life for these three days. And the rest of the month when they feel like crap, because their lifestyle is only aligned with these three days, they wonder why. But with this phase, this is when we really want to leverage this heightened uh, charismatic quality that women have. So we have more influence during this phase. We have more attraction, magnetism, because of everything that's going on with us during this phase. And even for just so you
0: know, strippers, they've done studies to show that when strippers are ovulating, They get, without saying a word to anyone, Mm -hmm. they get bigger tips.
1: Yeah. And that makes complete sense to me. It makes complete sense. So strippers got it right and they're leveraging this, but the rest of us aren't. Why? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So, you know, when I have like big presentations, pitches or negotiations with partners, I always try to schedule it around this time because Uh I know I'm going to be... Really effective in my communications and more influential, and I have the confidence and the energy to pull it off. So okay. this is we really Dude, want to I leverage this space. Only lasts phase. three days, <laughs> <laughs> right? But like I said, the hack is the entire biological rhythm that women yeah. have because there are benefits and strengths in every faith yeah, as long as we understand it. Yeah, right. We and we're not trying to, it. and
0: we're not trying to move and shake and and influence. All yeah. month long, right? Because that right. may not work. I mean, we have influence, but in different yeah. ways, right? Not in that typically. Yeah. This is probably when we have the most male typical version of influence, right? But we have influence. I would say so. month.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. absolutely. And it's different, right? So we, we don't want to be pitching and presenting and doing that kind of work every day anyway. We only want to do it when we're going to be the most effective at it. So, understanding when that is, is really important so that we can be more effective with our efforts and so that we can actually do less and achieve more. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, going from there, that's basically the whole first half of the female biorhythm. And phase three is the shift into the next half, the back half. The back half in the menstrual cycle is called the luteal phase. And in terms of the hormonal kind of signature of this, what we see is, is estrogen has fallen steeply from that peak, right? So we, we've gotten a real decrease in estrogen. Along with that, we're also seeing that our mood and metabolism and energy and all of that stuff is, is starting to slow, Right. And then through the rest of it, it kind of just steadily declines. There's a little bit of a bump in the middle, but in general, if you look at the overall curve, it's a down curve, right? Are you talking about the
0: last two weeks of the month we're basically going through this? Okay.
1: Yes. So it's like a slow slow progression where all these things are starting to slow down again as we reach the end of phase four, which is actually also the beginning of phase one because it's a circle, right? Well, that explains a lot because I thought it
0: was the final week before your your period. And I remember saying to my therapist who helped me a lot with my, you know, neuropsychologist who helped me a lot with hormones. But I said, you know, two weeks out of every month, I kind of feel like I could, this is when I was starting to go through perimenopause. I kind of feel like I could blow up the world. Like yeah. I I can't. And I'm not, yeah. and that's half the freaking month, right? right. Now right. that doesn't happen in a normal, like normal, quote unquote, I shouldn't say normal. That doesn't happen <laughs> yeah. in a woman who is totally in her reproductive cycle and isn't in perimenopause or menopause or surgical perimenopause or menopause or whatever. That's what we're talking about. It could. Right now. It
1: could. Yeah. So I, I put the symptoms of menopause or perimenopause and the symptoms that are categorized as PMS. They go in a similar category for me, which is the lazy man's way of dealing with or not <laughs> dealing with any issues that women have. So yeah. there's kind of two categories. If you're of reproductive age, they're like, oh, you just have PMS. And unfortunately, as a society, we've accepted that as normal when it's absolutely not normal. None of us should be experiencing any of the symptoms of PMS. And when we do, it is an alarm bell to say, hey, you are not aligned with what your body is needing at this time. That's important to know. I thought we just had to suck it up. So
0: tell me about that.
1: No. So I'll go on my soapbox here for a minute of how (laughs) how PMS, has just really disempowered women. So it has become a lump category of any negative symptom that a woman experiences that they can relate to the menstrual cycle. They just categorize it as PMS and say it's basically something that you just need to deal with, right? But again, it's not normal. These are signs of dysfunction. These are signs of things are not working for you. These are signs that your body is out of alignment, out of balance, and your hormones are not operating the way that they should operate, right? So what so, should it look
0: Well, yeah. go ahead. Finish what you were saying. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. No, so exactly going to your point, what you were just saying is what it should look like is that women should feel good all month long, but they shouldn't feel the same all month long. And when they have symptoms like cramps and heavy periods and pain and brain fog and on and on and on, it shouldn't just be lumped in as PMS or menopause. And the idea shouldn't be that this is normal and you just have to suck it up and deal with it because every woman goes through this and you're a woman. So this is what you go through. That's what we have accepted societally, but it's not true. It's just
0: Yes. What does a functional luteal phase look like?
1: Yeah. So a functional luteal phase, let's actually talk about what the luteal phase is in terms of the physiology. And this is actually my favorite of all four phases. And the reason why this is my favorite phase is because this is the brainy phase. This is, and that's kind of my, my nickname for this phase physiologically, is the grow phase because a woman's ability to grow, learn, and adapt is heightened in this phase. And the reason why is because now that estrogen is, you know, on the down curve and taking a step back, progesterone is now taking the stage and becoming the star of the show for the whole final two weeks. And with progesterone, this is a magical hormone that does all kinds of really cool things to our neurology as women. So one of which is, we talked about before the excitatory and mood-boosting neurochemicals, but progesterone increases the interaction and activity of our down-regulatory neurotransmitter, which is GABA. So GABA neurotransmitter helps to regulate our nervous system. It helps to chill us out, right? It helps us to get ready for restful sleep. It also is involved in myelination of the brain, of the brain cells. And it's also involved in memory consolidation, which happens while we're sleeping, right? So during this phase, a woman's ability to learn and to basically clean up the brain, to keep healthy myelination and to store memories is heightening. At the same time, with that, there's also a boost in a neurochemical called BDNF or brain derived neurotrophic factor that is caused by the increase in progesterone. So, brain derived neurotrophic factor increases neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. So, the cool part about this is that a woman's brain is not only more moldable, right, more adaptable, she can learn new things at a higher rate because. She has heightened neuroplasticity. Then The neural pathways are modulated easier, right? Okay. But her brain is literally growing new neurons at a higher rate during this
0: phase. So it's a big opportunity to learn and grow and expand the mind during those exactly.
1: weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And during the first week, you still have pretty good levels of energy and you still have pretty good levels of mood and all of those things because you're still kind of riding the tails of estrogen. And then the second week, you're really in the middle of this really cool neurological state and phase, but you do have to understand that your body has different needs. So just one more example of a physiological shift in this phase is that the nervous system has more of a sympathetic quality to it in this final two weeks. And It gets more sympathetic dominant where it's more of that fight or flight part of our nervous system is more dominant towards the end of this phase. So that's why all the PMS symptoms happen there, right? Because our nervous system is more sensitive. So what I mean by that is our stress capacity is lower. Lower. Yeah. So if you think about the capacity of stress, we all have a certain level of stress capacity. We call it our stress bucket, right? And for women, our stress bucket is not static. It grows and shrinks in different phases. And what that means is the level of stress we can handle changes. Yeah. And so this has implications for not only the things that we know are stressful in our lives, but even positive forms of stress become distress or negative forms of stress when our stress bucket is small and we have filled it and we've reached our capacity. So PMS symptoms and the symptoms of menopause come from when our stress bucket is full and overflowing. And that's when we start to see all of the symptoms that we see.
0: So if we were following theoretically, and I'm going to ask you in a second for when things aren't aligned hormonally, but theoretically, if we are following our biorhythms and we're Resting in the beginning, and we're ramping up, and then we're hitting it home during the ovulation, and then we're back to kind of easing off and really learning and growing during that time. We won't mm-hmm. be so stressed, and the PMS, our bucket won't overflow into exactly when we get over
1: stress. Well, yeah. for myself, and <laughs> exactly. And the the key here in this phase in particular is sleep. It's the key because that is the thing that's going to increase your stress bucket the most. It is the thing that's also going to perpetuate all those benefits that I was talking about. All of those things happen during sleep and we get this nice extra boost from progesterone that helps us to get better sleep during this time, but we have to prioritize it. So we should prioritize sleep all the time, of course, but we don't. And so if you're never prioritizing sleep, please at least prioritize it in the last two weeks of your biorhythm so that you can at least get those neurological benefits. You'll be able to learn, you'll be able to grow, even you can you can teach more effectively during this phase. And so many women are are bypassing those benefits, especially in this phase and phase one. So the end of phase four and the beginning of phase one is when, most women are feeling terrible (laughs) because they're... That's basically three weeks out of every month. Right. Well, yeah, like two weeks is... There's about two weeks when women feel pretty good and one week when they're feeling really good. And then there's two weeks when a lot of women are not feeling good. But that's not normal. That shouldn't happen. You should feel like you have energy. You should feel like your mood is stable. You should feel happy, fulfilled, whatever, right? You shouldn't feel like garbage for two weeks out of the month, or no. even a week out of the month. And you shouldn't be experiencing any symptoms of a PMS. And if you are, it's your body screaming for a change. It's screaming for you to understand where your resources are and please use them in a smart way. Quit burning through them. Okay. So that's step one, right? If you're noticing yeah. that you're having
0: a hard time at any of these phases, but chances are at this, you know, yeah. at the, really either in the luteal phase or in the menstrual phase, right? You should be maybe looking into this idea of working with your rhythms more. And then what do you have to say about people who are either unable to track, you know, their periods have started to become irregular due to mm-hmm. perimenopause or some other reason. How do we work with our phases when you aren't really sure where phase zero is?
1: Yeah. So, There's many ways to do this, and it's something that I actually teach women is how to track because the majority of women don't have a regular period, or at least the majority of women that I work with. But I think there's a big, big population of women that don't have a regular period. It's for many reasons. It's because of menopause. It's because of hormone replacement therapy, including birth control. It's because of stress. It's because of weight lifestyle, autoimmune dysfunction, whatever. It could be many, many reasons. However, all women still have phase one and phase two and phase three and phase four. So the way to track, it can be a little tricky at first because the biggest issue is that women are disconnected from their bodies. We have been taught to not listen to our bodies. Yes, yes. And when we do listen to our bodies and we're like, hey, my body's telling me this and I can't figure out what's going on. And they say, oh, it's all in your head, right? It's not. It's true. What you're feeling is valid and you need to start listening to it. So the biggest hurdle that I find with women is being able to reverse all of that kind of psychological training that we have to disconnect from our bodies and not listen to it. We need to start listening to it so that we can feel those shifts. However, I think even if women are very disconnected from their body, they still know well, I feel better at this time and I don't feel so good at this time, right? So there's a starting point. And then
0: what about women who have stopped menstruating? Are they still going through the four phases just in a softer way? Like once they're menopausal? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So you've really hit it on the nose there. And this is another area of science where we have a problem and we have a lack of the information yeah. and we don't have enough funding and, and resources going to it yet. I hope this changes soon. But what we do know from an anecdotal level and accounts of thousands, probably millions of women is that even postmenopausally they report still having ebb and flow in energy, of cognitive function, of mood, of of focus, all these things, right? And so my theory on why this is, and something that we definitely need to collect more data to truly understand it, because I'm sure there's a lot more things at play here, but my theory for the reason why women still experience a month-long-ish biological rhythm post-menopause is because for the vast majority of our lives, our biological rhythm was the same, right? It was set to the pace of these ovarian hormones. And so our physiology was trained and our biology was trained to operate in this month-long cyclic Whether we right? noticed it or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Yeah. So post-menopause, our physiology, all those other parts that I mentioned besides the actual menstrual cycle, still knows how to operate that way and still does ebb and flow. So it's, again, it's a matter of, okay, well, how do I figure out where I am? And so step one is to start listening to your body and then paying attention. And I do recommend that everybody uses at a very basic level, a journaling method. And you can even set yourself up a Likert scale of one to 10 for energy, one to 10 for mood, one to 10 for whatever, right? And you can start to see trends. Yeah. If you took that data and you actually tracked it on, you know, X, Y axis,
0: you would see the trends over time. Yeah, you would see that at this stage of the month, you yeah. felt this level of energy and mood in yeah. that stage, and then you can start tracking it. Yeah. I can't tell you how important, how epidemic it is not being in our bodies and more yeah. as and more importantly, not only not being in our bodies, but not listening to our bodies. Yeah. And I think one of the highlights, if I had to like hone it down to that one point, is that our bodies don't work the same as men and that when we start to listen to the body and follow its lead in terms of energy output, more internally referenced versus externally referenced, more productive versus planning, as we start to move with that, but we have to listen to it first, right? And then follow the body's lead. And I know that you yeah. you said that you work with people. I know I've been following you for a while. I love I love your Instagram page. But I know you talk a lot about we could go on for hours. I wish we had hours, <laughs> but, you know, about weight loss and oh, weight yeah. management, and certainly the hormonal changes that happen with perimenopause that I've been facing around weight loss. And the changes that have to happen, not just in our activity levels, but our diets and how to work with different phases of the menstrual cycle or the biorhythm to optimize, right? You alluded to that a little bit in terms of the changes in our metabolism throughout the month, the changes in our energy, the changes in our ability to build muscle and burn fat, that's constantly changing. And if we try to follow a male model of weight loss, which most of them are built on, the male model, that doesn't necessarily work.
1: No, no. And, and kind of the, if I could boil it all down into one key point that applies to weight loss, that applies to any health issue for women, productivity, whatever it may be, it's that we are trying to be consistent with a system that doesn't have the capacity to do that. So if your diet Is consistent, meaning you are eating the same things every day throughout the whole month, you're already shooting yourself in the foot because that's not what is called for by your body. If you are exercising the same way every day, you are shooting yourself in the foot. You're causing more harm than good because Mm -hmm. that's not how your body operates. There are different forms of exercise that will be beneficial in each phase, but doing the same thing or going to the gym and working out really hard or going and running five miles every day, you hear men do this all the time and they love it and it works amazingly because that is how their body works and that is supportive of them. For us, oh, heck no. You're gonna burn those hormones straight to the ground if you do that for several cycles. You know, at first you might feel okay, but then after three, six, nine, 12 months, you're gonna start to feel the repercussions of that and then you're going to wonder why? Oh, why do I have? Why do I have energy crashes? Why do and I have? Why brain are my fogs? cortisol levels through the roof? Yeah. yeah. Why am I gaining weight even though I'm running five miles every day? It's yeah. because you're you're wreaking havoc on your hormones, which drive your metabolism. Right. There are three hormonal pillars of health for women that are the most important aspect, and they're what I call the sugar, stress, and sex trifecta. So sugar. Insulin, blood sugar, right? That's what I'm talking about. Insulin is the hormone there, regulating your blood sugar. The second one is sex, which is estrogen and progesterone, right? The Mm -hmm. menstrual cycle, the ovarian hormone cycle. And then stress is cortisol. And really, we're talking about that cortisol melatonin curve that should happen. So with women, if you knock one of those legs of the stool out, the whole thing falls. So for instance, if you have dysregulated blood sugar because of diet or because of some kind of underlying condition or lifestyle, whatever it may be, then you're also going to knock the other two legs out. So that's going to disrupt your sex hormones, which modulate your whole system, as we know. Also, right. if you're stressed out and you're not managing your stress and you're not understanding the ch- ebb and flow of your stress bucket, right? and you're not adjusting your life accordingly in each phase, and you're feeling burned out, and you're burning out your adrenals, well, you're also going to dysregulate your blood sugar, and you're also going to dysregulate your sex hormones. So you got to get all three areas of the triangle under control to have balance. And the tricky part is that all three corners of this triangle or all three legs of this stool change in each phase, In phase right. So you have to accommodate with
0: each phase. So where can people, if people really want to dive into this more and learn more of what you offer, where can they learn more about how to move with each of these phases, whether it's energetically, weight loss, mood, whatever yeah. their agenda is? Where can they learn more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you check out my website, which is her biorhythm dot com. There's a lot of free resources, a lot of great information there. I also offer a couple of monthly newsletters. One focuses on women's leadership and one focuses on women's health. Those are free and really great resources. Lots of research and information in those. So you can hop on those newsletter lists and I have my programs and other offerings are available there on the website as well. And then I would love to connect with anybody on social media as well. And my handle there is biocurious underscore Kayla. And I do respond to all of the messages personally. So if you send me a message, I would love it. I would love to connect with you. Just please give me a little time because I do answer them all myself. So
0: (laughs) I do too. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes takes time. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you're here doing the work that you're doing in the world and helping to shed light on something that I think is more important than ever. And if nothing else, try it for a month. Like even if you don't fully buy into any of this, even if you're not sure, just try for a month to really listen to your body. I didn't get that fully until my son died and I was forced to because I couldn't function Mm -hmm. anymore and I had to make the decision. And I remember saying, I am not going to say yes to anything that I don't have a full body yes to, even if I really want to do it, I'm just not going to do it anymore. And it was hard because there were many things I wanted to say yes to opportunities or Mm -hmm. social engagements or whatever. And my body was like, hell to the no, you know, (laughs) And I was like, exactly. I'd be like, sorry, I can't come to this dinner party because my body's saying no. But I stopped giving a shit. And on some level, I think his death was that permission slip that I needed yeah. as a recovering cod- codependent to do that. But it is amazing what starts to happen and what starts to fall in place when you let go of the model that you've been conditioned to believe you have to follow and just start following your body because the body doesn't yeah. lie.
1: No. And the female body is so brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And in fact, I say that women are the greatest untapped resource in modern society that will evolve us forward if we can figure it out because we're, we're reaching this much of our potential yeah, and And we still do great things, right? Yeah. There's so much more there. We just have to partner with, our bodies and really tap into those magical places that until now we really haven't been doing.
0: Well, thank you so much. And we will put all the details guys in the show notes. So you can find, you can find Kayla's Instagram and social media stuff. You can find her website and uh, maybe we'll have you come back or do a live with you just for my personal purposes about weight loss. (laughs) I would love to. It's I would love life. to. Yeah,
1: you know, weight loss is a topic that needs yeah. its whole own space. A oh, whole, whole so, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah I yeah. know. All right,
0: much love <laughs> to you. Nice. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.